Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. An off day in the Stanley Cup final. No off day for Hockey Central at noon. Welcome to the program, everyone. Peter Klein and Logan Gordon with you today. The Stars and Lightning giving us a lot to dissect over the next 60 minutes. We will do so with Eric Dehatchik coming up at 1240 and Peter Labardius in just a moment. Plus, uh, Gary Bettman was on with the folks out in Toronto earlier today. We'll hear what he has to say about a potential return for next season your text always welcome 960-960 let's get right into it with our flames insider peter labardius flames insider peter labardius brought to you by the gemini group imagine your life your style your home renovation should be a reflection of you give your home the gemini difference visit geminigroup.ca hello mr labardius how are you today sir i i am uh, i'm pretty darn good how about yourself I'm doing pretty good. Uh, was quite entertained by the hockey game last night, as, as one-sided as it may have been. But one of the cooler moments that we've seen in a while, um, Steven Stamkos coming back, not for a long time, but for a good time, uh, scoring a goal in his return and then back on the bench. But um, a pretty unbelievable moment in Stamkos's return. What did you make of all of that last night? Well, you know, from a personal standpoint, and, and I talk a lot on our show, Peter, now about as much as I cheer for teams, I cheer for people. And um, last night took me to a lot of different places just because I vividly remember watching Stephen for the first time in his 15-year-old season getting ready for the Ontario Hockey League draft at an arena in Whitby and being pretty astounded at his talents and abilities on the same um, 15-year-old team with, uh, you know, Cody Hodgson, in fact, was a part of that group, and so was Michael Delzato in Markham. So, um, and in following him all the way along and spending time with him, He's as gracious and as respectful in at least my dealings with him over all these years as he was from the first time I met him at 16 years of age in his first year in the Ontario Hockey League. So um, I've been cheering for him for a long time. You know, I've gotten to know his mom and dad a little bit over the years. So it was it was awesome. Um, I almost brought me to tears even when I saw him come out for the warm-up just because um i know what kind of person he is and i've i've just i felt bad for him i I really have um you know missing out on the olympics and you know he's had some really tough injuries at some very difficult times that have kept him away from situations like this and yet when it was all said and done there was another setback to go hand in hand with you know, how couldn't you love it? It was kind of vintage him. You know, he, he beats Lindell wide, which is, you know, Peter has not been an easy thing to do in these playoffs. Drives, Hudobin gives him too much of the net. And in typical Steven fashion, it was one of the first things about him that I ever noticed was his ability to shoot the puck. And that's what he did to the far corner. So it, it was great. It almost made me feel a little emotional. And then... You know, his team obviously was energized. They played great. They won the game. And Stephen didn't play more than two minutes and 52 seconds. So there was a lot to it. 
Um, it, it was great to watch. And probably, you know, outside of just the goal itself, watching him in the warm-up, knowing he was going to come back, Peter, is there anything better than his reaction after the game? Oh, no. No. And that was that was the one thing that was kind of concerning to me about the whole situation was he's been such a part of that organization since they drafted him. And now on the verge of what looks like if the series keeps going the way it is, the one of the bigger moments for this franchise since, sorry, Flames fans, 2004, that he wasn't going to feel like he was really a part of it. And you could see last night, he was every bit as a part of it as anyone else. I, I was I was really, really genuinely happy to see that last night. Yeah, me too. And, you know, and we they showed other examples, whether it was Chara, um, what we saw from Landeskog even earlier in these playoffs, the captain of the Colorado Avalanche. Steven, believe it or not, and I'm glad that you went down this road and we're going to allow both Steven to... If you haven't heard what he had to say, we're going to get there in a couple of seconds. But um, what that reaction spoke to is all the things that I think I've learned about him over the years and that he wants to win and his team matters and his teammates matter. Because, listen, do you think that would have been easy after making that kind of return to get banged up again? after all the work that he's done, but did he go sit in the room or pout or feel bad for himself? Not a chance. And one of the reasons I've been cheering for him for a long time is listen to this response after what had to be one of the most unbelievable roller coaster night life uh, nights of Steven Stamkos's life. It was a dream come true, and I'm so proud of these guys. So to be able to share that, that moment with them and just even be on the bench and, and watch how well we played tonight, um, I've told these guys before, it's, it's inspiring. So um, it, it was great to be part of. Yeah, it's it's awesome to hear him just be like we said so so happy about getting that moment and happy for his teammates and really um, probably a bit of a boost for for that team as well to to see your leader go out there and give everything he had. I don't think there's any doubt about it, and I think even you know some of the reactions that you know and the scenes and the sights that we saw on the bench where he was you know chatting with a Braden Point or chatting with Kucherov or um, he was all in despite having every reason in the world to be out. He was in. And frankly, would you have blamed him if he didn't come back to the bench? I wouldn't have. Not for a second. But it showed, that response showed, and John Cooper, who obviously has grown to know him, love him, and understand his value – had these thoughts of his own on the night that was Steven Stamkos. You know, he only had five shifts, but probably as efficient of five shifts you're ever going to see in a National Hockey League playoff game. Uh, but, you know, we're with these players day in and day out, uh, like all year. I mean, this is the season that seems to never end. And here we are watching a player come back and then – you know, do what he did uh, in the biggest stage at the biggest time of the year. A, you, you, you can't, 
like you, like I said, you had to marvel at it. And uh, I don't know, it was, uh, it was pretty damn cool. It's a pretty good way of summing it up. Pretty damn cool. I actually like when when he when he scored, I just laughed out loud. It, it was just yeah, of yeah. course he did. Like it, it was absolutely incredible. Hope for hopefully um, a, a speedy recovery from whatever is ailing uh, Steven Stamkos as this series goes along. Um, with no Stamkos. Someone has had to step up for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it's been a number of different people throughout this series. And now uh, it kind of looks like Nikita Kucherov is, is taking that mantle as he has been every bit of what you would expect from Nikita Kucherov over the last couple of games. Well, he was pretty great last night, wasn't he? And I didn't think mm-hmm. despite his two points in game two. I mean, it was a rough one for him in game two. He got knocked around. He was angry. Um you know, mad. I thought at times, despite his two-point effort, um, you know, he he's an emotional player. He's not Radulov, but he's an emotional guy. And, you know, he had a quote earlier in these playoffs talking about, for him, it's not about individual awards. It's about winning the Stanley Cup. And, you know, my guess, he was very, very, you know, inspired by Stamkos. Uh, understanding, you know, the pivotal nature of a game number three. And in a game where not only he was great, Peter, with a goal and an assist, only had to play 16 minutes and 38, which is literally five minutes down from his playoff average of 21 and a half. I think the exact number is 21.36. But he has 30 points now in these playoffs. He leads everybody. And... You know, when you think about last night, and and Tampa completely took that game over, it was funny. I had a couple people over, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law last night, and at 3-1, I said, it's going to be 6-1. And they looked at me like, well, what do you mean it's going to be 6-1? I said, my prediction right now is the game ends up 6-1. Because in those guys, you know, Point, Palat, Kucherov, Hedman, with, you know, just another 21-and-a-half, minute performance with hits and another three points including his 10th goal if ever there was a night where tampa's best people were their best people it was last night and they were all in and they made a huge difference and they tilted the game and no matter what rick bonus and company did or tried to throw out against them they couldn't match it they just they didn't outside of the back half of the first period they didn't really have an answer. But, you know, Kucherov, remember, going back to 2011, this guy's a second-round pick. A second-round pick, 128 points a couple of years ago, and, you know, he is dynamic. Um, he gets to some hard places. He plays with some bite. He plays with some edge. And, you know, it was interesting, Peter, about last night, and I bet he was mad at himself. The goal by Dickinson that turned 2-0 into 2-1, you know who made a big mistake on the goal? He did. He skated right by the Dallas player in the corner because Point had him on one side. He should have had him on the other side, and he skated right by. And that led to Dickinson being open, the pass coming out of the corner, and bingo, you know, Tampa looked at 2-0 after the Stamkos goal. Like, they might run away. That's a pretty good response after what I thought was, you know, a mistake that he would have liked to have had back, too. Yeah, and the the whole Tampa Bay team with that response, like you said, going the back half of that first period, it's like, okay, 
here come the stars. We have another oh, yeah. one. And uh, Tampa Bay laughed in all of our faces and outshot the stars 21 to four in the second period. And it was a wrap from there. Uh, a pretty dominant performance. Um, it, it's funny. You mentioned Hedman 21 minutes and 29 seconds. That's like an off day for him. Like he, he's going to be like, are we doing three games in three nights? We, I'm good to go tonight. What are we doing? Like he, that, that's a, that, that's a casual night for him. Um, chatting with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius, here on Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Transitioning to the Calgary Flames, um, looking ahead to the offseason with this franchise, and uh, a very important one, as we've discussed. And when you're going into an offseason where you're looking to improve on a couple playoff finishes, it's nice to have cap space. And the Flames aren't necessarily swimming in it, but they aren't right up against the ropes with this either. And Lou, you believe that that's because of how Treliving has managed the internal cap with this franchise. Well, I, I absolutely do. And, and I think what really can get you in a lot of trouble in putting a team together, and frankly, uh, you and I could do, and Logan, who would be all over it as well, we could do a whole afternoon on one subject. And that is one of the things I'm not a huge fan of anymore is we pay a lot for potential. We don't always pay enough for when I think somebody arrives and has actually done something. Now, that's up for interpretation, but, you know, with how Brad has gone about his business with the highest paid player on his team being Matthew Kachuk at $7 million, don't you think that that's been pretty good utilization in terms of, you know, there's nobody here making 10, there's nobody making 11. There's good players. Now, granted, you know, you signed players to contracts like Monaghan and Gaudreau at over $6 million, and, and the market is always changing. And up until this point, it's going up. But I think Brad deserves a ton of credit for how he was respected and really stayed true to that internal cap. And I think it matters for your team. I think it gives you more flexibility. I think it allows you to build a deeper group. And, you know, when the time is right, potentially you could take a big swing. And one of the reasons I wanted, I wanted to get to that a couple days ago, but I do. Um, you know, the other important angle of it, guys, is, you know, we see teams paying massive dollars at – at the top end, you know, Toronto's an example. Obviously, Edmonton has two of the best players in the world. So they're in, in the high, high rent district. But the question to me is always, and, and every year we get a chance to take a look at, can you win with putting, you know, a lot of eggs in four or five guys' baskets? Or, you know, the best you can do you build and keep adding and drafting well and developing people well? And, you know, Tampa, I think, is, is a pretty good example of their ability to do that. Now, they have different tax rates and different situations, but, you know, Boston is another team, guys. It's done a really good job in that area. When you think about the fact that, you know, David Krejci is, I think, seven two five, and he's the highest paid guy on their team. Well, doesn't that allow you to have more flexibility, more depth when you're not paying somebody 11 or 11 and a half? And you know what? 
I look at it very different in in certain individual cases. And and the one area for me that it's hardest, not to say that they're not great players and not great talents, and might it end up at the end of the day being a win. But you know, and I'm curious to hear what you guys have have to say. I just I don't know how we get back a little closer to that. But but I'd like to pay a little bit more sometimes for winning and a little less for where we think you're going to project to. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads nicely into the Alex Petrangelo conversation as captain on a championship winning team now hitting free agency, but going into a spot where the contract you're going to have to sign him to looking at it, a lot would assume that by the time that contract is done, there's a couple of seasons on that contract where you're not getting necessarily the bang for your buck. But for the first few, you're getting a guy who is a captain who hoisted a Stanley Cup. I think Petrangelo is an interesting conversation when you look at this subject. Okay, we went there the other day. So while I get to play question answer, and that's by and large my role on this hit, I like to play question asker. So I'm going to ask both your guys your opinion on a couple of questions. Okay. Why don't you think the St. Louis Blues have tied him up? Like, why isn't this done? That's something that I've been wondering as well. And I, quite frankly, I don't really have an answer for you. My assumption is it's too much money. And when you look at internal caps, the Blues are another team. Now they have a few contracts right around this area, but their highest paid player right now is Vlad Tarasenko at $7.5 million, which I would consider to be a bargain. You have O'Reilly in that neighborhood. Brayden Shen is right around that as well. But they look to me to be another team that has an internal cap. And just from the outside logo, it doesn't look like they're budging. I'm going to guess dollars and cents is the the biggest thing keeping Petrangelo from re-signing with uh, the St. Louis Blues. It's yeah, it's a tough question to answer because on the you know on paper it makes a lot of sense. Your Stanley Cup winning captain coming back to your team, you know, is it should just be that easy. But I mean, I think part of it for me, I think that they found a player they really like in Justin Falk that I don't think they expected uh, to get their hands on. I think that's that's part of it, and I also think. I mean, I, I, it's hard to go just on money, but I mean, they've got a lot of guys down their roster who, who make a significant chunk even going into next year. You know, Tyler Bozak still makes $5 million. Perron's got another couple years at four. Steen's at 5.75. They've got, you know, some big money pieces that still take up a spot. I just don't know. I think maybe they've squeezed themselves out of the market that they thought he would be in when it came to re-signing him. Can I add one more caveat that we haven't talked about in the last three days? Mm-hmm. Do you not think that Colton Pareko might be viewed as somebody if they were to, to walk away because of all the things that you guys just talked about is younger and they might have arrived at a place where, especially after what Logan talked about, and it surprised me at the time because I, I, I've never been a huge Justin Falk fan, to be honest. But they're both right-handed shots. They do have an internal cap. And again, I can't necessarily move on from somebody in any situation 
And I, the last time I checked, Doug Armstrong's pretty good at his job. That I think Colton Pareko also figures into the equation about it might allow you to bargain and leverage a little bit more when one player is younger is to me a pretty darn good player in his own right. I think that's part of it too. I I really do. But Mm -hmm. I, I got off the air with you guys the other day and we kicked it around and kicked it around for the flames. And, you know, we kind of said that, you know, if, if it could work, um, but then I went for a walk and I went, here's what I didn't bring up. Why isn't St. Louis, if, if this was so rock solid and they had absolutely had to have them, why wouldn't they? So that's question one, and you guys were awesome. So here comes question two. Matthew Kuchuk has two more years left at $7 million per. Can you do both? Meaning, meaning I don't think Matthew the way he's, you know, projecting what he means to this team, potentially the next, like, captain of your team. Now, maybe you can do both, but he's going to make more than seven. And part of that is also the same thing that I threw out the other day about Petrangelo. If you're going to get to another place, one of the things that becomes really, really important is you know, frankly, how all in you are on the Calgary Flames. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that so me- that that's that's the other thing I I thought about because again, when you manage your cap and do it as well as Brad has, which has allowed the Flames to continue to develop, and they've done an excellent job. The last, you know, Todd Button and his amateur staff, I think, has done an excellent job, you know, maybe even more so, not just, you know, getting people like Kachuk and Valimaki early, but, you know, some of their greatest work has come even down lower in the rounds. And I know this for an absolute fact that one of Brad's true philosophies about drafting is, um, and he said it even publicly, is we believe every single pick matters. And I think that's made a big difference in how they've gone about their business. But, yeah, I wanted to throw the whole, you know, because, again, here's what we know. Do you guys really foresee the cap going up over the next four or five years? I I know I don't. No. No, I don't either. So, no. no, that brings, so now, when you make that kind of a big investment and you have other, now that's not to say, again, you know, with this whole Petrangelo thing, you know, I think we'd all agree that there probably needs to be a shakeup. And if you shake things up, that might give you more opportunity and more flexibility money-wise, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the Kachuk part is an interesting discussion. And again, this is something we could spend the next six hours talking about this um, <laughs> because I, I think the Kachuk contract and how it is actually put some pressure on the Flames over the next couple of seasons to get 
more done than they have uh, in the last couple of years. But uh, we are right up against it, Lou. Um, so again, could do this all day, uh, but the clock suggests that we can't. So we will uh, we'll keep it going tomorrow. We'll have another uh, game to preview. We'll be that much closer to the NHL draft. Never a shortage of subjects to discuss when, when we chat. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you. Flames insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Seriously, could do that all day. Uh, loved our chats with Lou, and we'll keep that going tomorrow. We'll also have the mailbag with uh, Peter Labardius tomorrow as well. So a lot to get to on the program. Still a lot to get to today. When we come back, Eric Dehatchuk will join us, our NHL insider, on an incredible night for Steven Stamkos, plus uh, something he was a part of at The Athletic. What would a Team Canada look like if we had a World Cup this year? Uh, we'll get into that discussion with Eric next here on Hockey Central at Noon, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central at Noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Peter Gordon with you today on an off day in the Stanley Cup final, potentially the last off day in the Stanley Cup Finals. We have games Friday and Saturday, and by that point, the trophy could be handed out. The Dallas Stars will certainly have something to say about that. Very pleased to be joined now by our NHL insider, Eric Dehatchuk from The Athletic. Eric, how are you today, sir? Excellent, excellent. I was very interested in the conversation just just had about uh, the Flames and the Alex Petrangelo pursuit. Uh, it's interesting how, you know, while the Stanley Cup final is going on, you know, the people in my circle that I talk to are paying like a little bit of attention to that, but but the the focus on the off season this year is so intense. I mean, it always is, but I can't ever remember a year where where next season started so early compared to the fact that, you know, last season isn't even over. And it, it's, it's amazing how much speculation there is about Markstrom, about Petrangelo, about all the other UFAs that are coming onto the market and who's going to get them and who's got the money. And it's, it's uh, like I said, I've never seen anything quite like this. Uh, and I think that it's almost distracting a little bit from a pretty good Stanley Cup final. Like I, I'm enjoying it, but I, I get the sense that the larger number of people are disconnected from it. Well, and especially here with the Flames, where they've been out for a little bit, um, the, the hockey has still been very good, but they have a general manager who has irons in every fire across the, the National Hockey League. Brad Treliving, I would love to just spend half an hour looking through Treliving's phone just to see the amount of texts and calls that he's been making in the last couple of weeks. Well, I mean, he doesn't make any secret of the fact, and he said it on your show and he said it in a press conference, that, that he believes the mandate of a general manager in, in this era is to is to be aware of everything that's going on. So I can tell you that there have been times in the past, that, you know, throughout my writing career, where I've heard general managers, you know, I've talked to general managers after the fact, and they'll say, I didn't know Dion Phaneuf was available. It's you know so so you know I think that that era has changed. It's had to change. I think the fact that you know the, the era of cell phones and texting makes it easier to stay in touch. But 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 I, I just think that if if you're a general manager in the National Hockey League and you see 
you know, you, you just have to look at you know, who the UFAs are. If you're not making inquiries, you're not doing your job. You just aren't. Like, you know, and, and the one thing that I think that's very difficult sometimes for, for readers of ours and listeners of yours to, to understand is that just because you've made an inquiry doesn't mean that, that, that a deal will come to fruition. You know, all you're doing is, in the beginning anyway, establishing the parameters of what it will cost, what it would take, and then, you know, can we find a way of making it work within our own situation? So it's complicated. It's not like you and I making a deal in fantasy hockey. I'm, I'm the world's worst or best fantasy hockey manager, depending on how you look at it, because I'm forever changing my team. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking for a, a, the slightest tweak here and the slightest tweak there to help, uh, you know, improve my team. And, and, and in, in the fantasy world, it, it's easier to do. You know, you can trade Sidney Crosby for, for somebody else. But in the real world, way more complicated. And so, um, you know, I think people do have to understand that when, when somebody is making inquiries, you know, they are doing their job. And, you know, and, and once in a while, you know, a deal goes through. I mean, you know, the, that, um, that deal with Caroline a couple of years ago involving, you know, Dougie Hamilton and uh, Noah Hannafin and, and Elias Lindholm coming back here, that was, that was talked about, you know, publicly for weeks and weeks. And, and it did finally go through. They finally found a way of making it work. So, um, so yeah, it, it will be interesting to see if they can, you know, find a financial path forward that would allow them to be in on one or even both of those guys. I, you know, I, I think, you know, again, you start to play with the numbers and, you know, you look at all of the you know, players that are on expiring contracts. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you can make it work. Um, while we're on the subject specifically for Petrangelo, what do you make of the, the fit? If you can make the dollars work out um, and you're okay with the term, what do you make of a Petrangelo fit with the Flames? Oh, good. Well, exceptional. I mean, he's one of the top defensemen in the National Hockey League. I think that there's still, you know, lots of miles left uh, on him. And, uh, you know, obviously, if 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 you were in in active pursuit and or, or sort of at that point where you can you can make it work, you know, it's because you know two of the contracts on the right side, uh, you know, Hamannix and, and Brody's have gone away, right? So that's what eight and a half. About eight and a half million between the between the two of them. I think Petrangelo, you know, I can't see him signing for less than nine five and some sort of nine five AAV and then some sort of a, a structural uh, contract. You know, my understanding is that, that one of the reasons that things broke down in St. Louis is because they were trying to structure the contract differently. And, and there are all these sort of new middle-loaded contracts, for lack of a better, better word, that, that agents are now trying to, to try to, because revenue streams are so limited right now and escrows are going to, is going to be so high that uh, the days of front-loading the contract, like, like Mitch Marner did or like, like Austin Matthews, that doesn't make any sense, right, in, in this day and age. And, and back-loading them puts, pushes the money too far back. So now they're going to try to middle-load them, and it's complicated, you know. So now you've got to get your contract people involved in all of that. But, yeah, in, in terms of, of, of imagining a depth chart, you would have – you would have, well, well, you'd have the left side would be crowded, right? So you've got Giordano there, you've got Noah Hannafin there, you've got Alan Mackey. You think is going to play for you, and and, and Connor Mackey, right? He's going to play in the NHL next year. So you have four on the left side, and then you'd have Petrangelo and Rasmus Anderson, and then who knows, you know, Eric Gustafsson on the on the other side. I mean, I the thing about the moves like this is that there there are always pieces moving in and out, and I think that if you were to to commit the dollars to like a high-end free agent like uh, like Petrangelo, I, I think you would have to you know think about moving Hannafin's money. You know, just a little under mm-hmm. five million. You know, you'd still have Valimaki and Connor Mackey there. You'd probably, you know, Shillington's an RFA. You know, he's a seven, I think, in the, in the National Hockey. I think he would be okay on the left-hand side. 
And then if you subtracted another $5 million from your payroll, you know, then I do think that there's a way of, of, of you know, committing the dollars to Petrangelo and, and also maybe to, to someone like Markstrom because, you know, then, then the other, you know, Talbot's dollars come off the thing. So it, 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 it's, it's moving pieces. It's, it's puzzle. It's a puzzle. It's complicated. But I can tell you, and not just the Flames, but I think every front office, they have these charts on the wall. They have all of these people that are crunching the numbers analytically. They have the salary cap specialists. So, so everything we're just talking about right now, they've, they've gone over that five different ways, you know, in, you know, Ten times more deeply than than we just did, and and I'm I'm going to guess that that they also see a possibility. And uh, you know, obviously, you can't talk about that kind of stuff publicly because it's tampering. Those players are under contract, so so no general manager is going to come out and 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 tell you what what they're doing. That's just that's just unrealistic. Um, but but those of us in the you know guessing and interpreting and analyzing game. You know, it doesn't stop us from from doing it our, the exercise ourselves. And yeah, I mean, it's it's possible, it's doable. And and the track record here is that they're not afraid to make the the big splashy move. So we'll see. Um, just further to your point, talking about how the off season has distracted from the uh, Stanley Cup final. We've now gone the front half of this interview not talking about the Stanley Cup final. Touche. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love all the, the off-season talk. And again, we cover a team that hasn't been playing for a month, so you kind of get a, an itchy trigger finger with it. But uh, I do want to ask a question about the Cup final. Uh, Steven Stamkos, like th- that was, I thought, the story of the game last mm. night is um, a very brief return for Steven Stamkos, but an impactful one nonetheless. Just, uh, I guess, your thoughts on a really cool moment with Stamkos. Maybe the only one he gets in this cup final, but uh, scoring a big goal for the Lightning in game three. Yeah, storybook, right? I mean, uh, you know, you guys did a great job of covering it in the previous segment, and I think when we talked about it two days ago, the point that I was making was that that someone like Stamkos, who was so popular in that dressing room, who has worked so hard to get back into shape, who has had all of this bad luck in, in terms of injuries, you know, just like, you know, like you, you could just sort of tell how his teammates felt about him. So they're, they're you know, at, at a time when you're, you know, nine weeks into the into the postseason and you're just looking for anything to give you a lift, that gave him a lift. Like it was palpable, it was noticeable from as far away as we all were watching the game on television. You could just see how his presence there in the lineup, on the ice, and then you know after it became clear that he couldn't play after a handful of shifts, you know, coming back on the bench, creating energy for his team. Remember, th- these games are being played without fans, so all of the energy has to come from within. And night after night, that's, that's a challenging thing to do. You, know, you can only go to that emotional well so often. So having him there, uh, making a tangible difference early in the game by scoring that goal, but then, then just sort of being around and, and keeping everyone's spirits up. I mean, it, it just felt that that game, you know, like the Tampa surged and surged and surged, and, and you know, we've seen lots of momentum shifts in these, in these playoffs. Dallas has been able to, to create a lot of these momentum shifts. They did it against Calgary in, in that deciding game. Tampa didn't allow them to do it, and I really believe one of the main reasons for that was, was the presence of, of Stamco. So it's a, it, it's a lovely story. Um, you know, he, my interactions with him over the years have been a long time. You know, ter- terrific young man, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, when, when you look at, okay, if Tampa wins the I think a lot of people will be very, very happy for Steven Stamkos. And, and from, for his, his perspective, if he only plays, what, two minutes and 17 seconds in the Stanley Cup final, at least he was there doing something tangible. I mean, he was a, a great contributor to the team in the regular season until that injury shut him down. Had a tremendous year last year when he played 
played all 82 games. He's been integral in terms of what they've built there, and you know, and you know, really is someone that is deserving of winning a Stanley Cup. Uh, last one for you, and again, not on the, the Stanley Cup final, but uh, you were part of a group at The Athletic putting together rosters for uh, a strictly hypothetical, obviously, uh, 2020 World Cup, if we were to have one. Um, I thought it was interesting how different the roster looked when there was no Team Amer- or Team North America compared to when there was one. But I guess what, what was something that kind of caught your eye as you were putting together a, a Team Canada for a, a hypothetical 2020 World Cup? Yeah. Well, no, thank you for bringing that up because yeah, no, I, I mean, I was speaking to one of my editors about three weeks ago and I said, you know, in the normal every four years sequence of, of international hockey, there would be a World Cup right now, September 2020, because the last one was four years ago. So I said, you know, as an exercise, let's just go through. And, and I wanted to do it for myself to, to, you know, to take a look at the team that was there in, in 2016 and then to, to update it to, to see, you know, where things have gone, who's aged out in four years, who's, you know, come into the mix. And then the wrinkle that, that they kind of threw in was, well, if it was a, a, a World Cup and, and if they had another Team North America and if the rules were the same, which is that anybody 23 and under was still playing for Team North America, how would that affect things? And it affected dramatically. Like, you, you forget. I mean, Connor McDavid would still qualify as a 23 and under. Uh, you know, I've got Carter Hart on the, on the varsity, if you want to call it, but, but he's a 23 and under. He would be there. And, and so if you, if you took... The best 23 and unders from Canada and, the, and combine them again with the best 23 and unders from the United States, you know, our analytics guy, he, you know, he, he ran a, a simulation and Team North America wins the tournament. You know, they, in his mind, they're the best team. But that just speaks to, to where the NHL is in, in, in terms of, of all of these precocious young talents that at a very young age have come in and established themselves as stars in the National Hockey League. But the main reason for doing this exercise was really to see you know, what that team would look like in the next committed real international tournament, which are the 2022 Olympics uh, in in Beijing. I mean, I've spoken to the contacts at the Players Association, and they say that, you know, World Cups are still, are are definitely, you know, coming again. Uh, Possibly a Ryder Cup kind of a format, which is Team North America against Team Europe, could be coming. It might be an in-season thing that they do in Europe uh, in lieu of an all-star break somewhere. So there, they are, there are a number of different scenarios, but the, the only one that's been agreed to and that's next in the hopper is the 22 Olympic team. And there won't be a Team North America there, and there won't be a Team Europe. So, so to me, the, the best part of the exercise was looking at where you know, an, an actual Team Canada would be right now and then imagining what it would be like in 18 months. And it's still great. A goal is a little bit of an issue, you know, like, uh, you know, we've got, I've got Carter Hart, you know, Carey Price, and Darcy Kemper as, as my three Canadian goalies. It hasn't been a position of strength uh, for the Canadian development program for a long period of time, but they're just so deep up front and they're just so deep on the blue. And I always say the same thing that you, you probably, you know, like if you're Latvia in the Olympics, you need somebody to come in and make 75 saves and steal the game. If you're Canada in the Olympics, you don't. You just need a goaltender that doesn't give up a cheapie at a critical point in the game and, you know, might, you know, give you like a handful of, of good saves, but good to very good goaltending is usually enough if you've got the position players that, that Canada has at its disposal. Anyway, it was a fun exercise. I hope people read it. It's, it's available, as you said, on, on our website right now. And um, we've gotten good responses. A ton of people that have read it, a ton of people have reacted to it. Some, uh, everybody hates it. You know, of all the players I picked, the one thing that everybody hates, I put Drew Dowdy on the team. And people hate that. <laughs> they just hate it. And I said, I, I think these got in for a bounce back season. So we'll see.
<laughs> in typical Canadian fashion, we're, we're getting upset about the sixth defenseman on a, a hockey team in a, a hypothetical situation. That's yeah. that's very Canadian of us. But yeah, just yeah, yeah, looking yeah, at yeah, that, that team. Great, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's why people care about hockey. And here's the other thing. The appetite for best on best, from what I can tell just by you know people who have either commented or reached out on, on social media, is very, very high. Like, you know, I think because the, the last Olympics were kind of ho-hum, um, you know, and, and it's been four years, right, since the World Cup, uh, six years since the last time that the, the pros played in the, the Olympics, the appetite among, you know, hockey fans is, for this is, is really high, and the interest is really high. Even now, when we're, we're making it up, people are still interested. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I very much recommend checking it out at The Athletic right now. Eric, this was fun. Uh, maybe by the time we chat on Tuesday, we will know who the Stanley Cup champion is. But uh, either way, we'll talk again next week. All right, thank you. Thank you. There is uh, Eric DeHatchik again. It is quite the read over at The Athletic. That team, North America, is just stupid good. Like, their, their blue line, uh, the first pairing is Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. That's that. That's what you're dealing with. Uh, you got Connor uh, McDavid, Barzell, Matthew Kachuk, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, all on the the same line. So yeah, that Team North America would be silly good if they went that way again. We appreciate Eric DeHatrick joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza past the steaks and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. We'll put a bow on Hockey Central at noon. Talk a little bit more about when next season could be starting and get you ready for the big show here on Sportsnet 960. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Just a couple moments until we get to a very busy hour one of the big show on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon with you today. Uh, We've been talking about, obviously, the Stanley Cup final, but also when next season might get going. Gary Bettman was on Hockey Central at noon, the Toronto edition, earlier today and shared these thoughts as to what goes into that process. We put in December 1st as a notional date. Um, I don't expect it to be December 1st. It's probably going to be later, you know, late December, January. We need to, first of all, finish this season and finish the Stanley Cup final, take a deep breath. We have the draft coming up, and then we've got to take stock of what the world's going to look like. And to answer your question is tell me what COVID-19 is going to be like and where. Where's going to be spiking? Where's going to be safe? Tell me what the Canadian-U.S. border is going to be like. Are we going to be able to transverse it and uh, do it without quarantining? Um, and so there's a lot. We Are we going to be able to have fans in our building? And that's not a decision we're going to make. Governmental authorities at all levels are going to make that for us. So there's a lot we don't know. But much like the decision we made to go to Toronto and Edmonton, if you remember, we announced the return to play, and I made those decisions at the last second. And some people were a little critical of that. And I didn't want to make the decisions until I had as much information as possible to know that we were making the best choices. And based on the way Canada and particularly Ontario and Alberta have addressed uh, COVID-19, these were really the safest places perhaps in all of North America for us to go. The one thing I can say with certainty, we have no expectation that the players are going to be locked in a bubble for six months away from their families and friends. That, right. That's just not realistic. Doing it for the playoffs, 
was one thing, and I'm grateful and admire their willingness to do it. But but at the end of the day, whatever we do can't be that because it, it just doesn't work. So there you go, uh, Gary Bettman, on all the factors that go into a, a potential return to play. Hearing that, I, I think we all kind of assume, like, we don't know when it's going to be, but we can all assume it won't be December 1st, as was uh, previously hoped. That's going to do it for Hockey Central at noon. Thank you to Peter Labardius and Eric Dehatchik, as well as Logan Gordon, for producing this bad boy and making us sound good. He could just take us off the air at any time that he wanted to, and we thank him for not. Coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, myself, Will Nault, uh, Logan Gordon as well. We got Ian McMillan from Odd Shark and Christopher Harris from HarrisFootball.com, a money-making edition of The Big show next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.